John chapter 5, here we go. John chapter 5. You go ahead and turn to that right now or get on your phone. You can go to John chapter 5. You're going to want to follow along with me because some of you are going to come to me and say, can you please start talking slower? The answer today is no. All right. There's a lot to cover very, very quickly. I've got my throat coat. Here we are. John chapter 5. Before you go into John chapter 5, I'll give you one verse you can scribble down. John, John chapter 20, verse 31. John chapter 20, verse 31 gives us the perfect picture of what this gospel is actually about. This is what it says. It says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Who believes? Anybody? Yes? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing... By believing, you have life in his name. You have life in his name. And that's the incredible nature of what the gospel of John is really about and what he's trying to communicate here. He's writing, John's writing to communicate the person of Jesus Christ so that the reader would believe, so that the person they are seeing and and stepping into it would believe. And so in John chapter 5, what we find is John is stepping in. This is after he healed a Samaritan woman last time in John chapter uh, 4, and then the healing of the official son at the end of that chapter. And then what we find is John starts by healing a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. You need to get this in your brain, okay? 38 years he's been an invalid, and it tells us that Jesus steps into the picture And it angers the Jews. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you why it's angering the Jews. This angers the Jews because, one, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They're going to be very clear about this. You're going to hear it later on, but we're just cutting to the chase very, very, very quickly. He heals on the Sabbath. They don't like that. Also, this gentleman, once Jesus heals him from being an invalid, for how long? 38 years. He picks up his mat and begins to walk. Nobody likes that. Because they're saying that means he's working on the Sabbath. Now, we're getting to it more, but they don't like that Jesus is doing these things. And so here he comes. He steps in. He lets them know, listen, in John chapter 5, verse 17, listen, my father is still working, so am I. Get over it. It's really what he says. You're going to go, really? Listen to this. Healing shrines were normal. I want you to know that. It was was a normalcy to be able to go and to find healing shrines and to see what they were. And here in this chapter, what we find is um, it's during one of the feasts. This is probably, um, this feast is probably during the Feast of Tabernacles. You had the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of the Weeks, and then Passover. Those are the three primary feasts. Um, This is probably during the Feast of Tabernacles. Here he is. He's coming in. People are absolutely everywhere. And he steps into the picture. There's a pool there, a pool at Bethesda. And it was normal for them to believe that when the water is stirred, that when something's happening with air bubbles and all this kind of stuff, that they got in, that it would heal them. And yet here's an invalid. It doesn't say that he's been in this location for 38 years, but he's likely been there for quite some time. Why? Because what invalids would do, they would find a location in which everybody knew them, and a lot of times those people would support them with food and everything else. Right? So they would stay in a similar proximity to where they have previously been. And so here we find this person. It says he's there. It has five roofed colonnades. In these lay multiple, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there. He looked at him and he said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? This guy responds. He's like, sir, 
I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. The Son of God shows up in front of this guy. He says, do you want to be made well? His first response is, I don't have anybody to help me. He, he had no clue. The Son of God was standing right in front of him. I don't think he had any clue. Because you certainly don't respond to the Son of God in such a manner. But Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be made well? And the man says, I don't have anybody to help me. But the Lord Jesus is about to command him to get up and to take up his bed and to walk. The man is about to have a choice. You have a choice. We all have a choice, just as this man did. He could stay in the life that he knew. He could stay on the mat in which he already lived. He, he actually probably found a lot of comfort knowing that the same people would give him food every day and they would su- support him. But he has a choice right now to receive through his word the saving miraculous power of Jesus Christ. What you're going to hear today is this man had a decision on whether or not he would actually get up, take up his mat, and step into a new life. Because now he was going to have to provide for himself. Now he's going to have to step into a new life of giving glory to God. You're, you, some of you need to make a decision of whether or not you will actually get up from the life that you're currently living in, a life of bitterness, a life of anger, a life of resentfulness, and you think that something's always wrong with everybody except for yourself, and you need to get up and you need to step into a new life that is found through Jesus. You need to get up. But the man has a choice. He was without hope. He didn't even recognize what was really being offering. That's why in John 10, 10, it reminds me of that as well. It says they've come to have life, to have a life to the full, abundantly. He didn't get what abundant life was. So many of us are accustomed to living the way we are currently living that we don't see what Jesus could actually do. We're so, we, we would rather live in who we already are than recognizing that God could do more. We'd rather live in the predict, predictability of what we've always known than rather than stepping into what God could do in a new life that is offered to him when we offer him our insecurities and our anxieties and our fears and our worries and we actually do it. We don't just say we're going to do it. You can say that you believe. The Word of God is very clear in the Gospel of Matthew. And some of you look at me and say, Lord, Lord, I have, I have no clue who you are. So we go, man, here's a guy who's got a choice to make. And if he wouldn't have received God stepping in through Jesus and speaking to him, think about the blessing he would have missed. My fear is that so many of us today, we're missing out on the blessing of God because we'd rather live in what we know than knowing that what God could actually do. And so we hold on to the same things that we've always held on to. But the question is this, do you want to be made well? Do you, do you, don't think about the, the, the guy, how long, he, how long had he been an invalid? 38 years. Don't think about him for a moment. Think about yourself. Do you want to be made well? Do you really want to be transformed? Because that means you have to consider what God can do, not simply who you already are apart from him. So all this is happening, and I tell you what, right away, man, there are people who are really upset. This is an easy way to think about John 5. John 5, 1 through 8, 1 through 9, is all about this amazing miracle that just took place. All right, so you can write that down. John 5, 1 through 9. John 5, 
10 through 17 is the response of the religious leaders to Jesus. I'll get to the rest of the chapter in a little bit. You can leave some space there before you write no, try below, okay? John 5, 10 through 17 is a response of others to Jesus' miracles. And here's how they start at the very end of chapter, uh, in verse 9. They say, now it was on the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And so the man who had healed him didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. But then it tells us in John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, afterwards, Jesus drew near to him and revealed himself. Can you imagine that encounter? Right? It, it literally says, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, temple and said to him, see, you're well. I would have been doing the, mm, some kind of dance, Right? Like because I believe in the power of God, and yet if I'm the guy who's been an invalid for how long? 38 years. You don't think I would have responded to the power of Jesus Christ when I saw him in the temple, and he came up to me, and he's like, see, you're well. I'm like, yes, I am. But then Jesus' words really target him. He says, now sin no more. Go and sin no more. You've seen my power. You've tasted my goodness. Go sin no more. There's new life to be had. Wow. Well, the man goes away to the Jews, tells them that it's Jesus. He's not trying to do anything wrong, but Jesus in this, this occasion didn't tell him not to do that. Sometimes he did say, shh, don't, don't tell anybody where it's dead. He, didn't, he doesn't do that here. So here's this man. He goes back to these leaders. He's like, listen, it was Jesus who did it, which is why they were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. Now, here's what's amazing to me. He, invalid. How long? And what they don't even acknowledge, they get on him. They were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Go there with me for a moment. Jesus is performing miracles. They would have known this invalid. Because, again, he would have been in the same proximity probably for quite a while. They would have known this guy. They would have known that he couldn't walk, that he was an invalid. They would have known that he was crippled, that he couldn't move. They would have known all these things, that he couldn't crawl to the pool in time to be made well. And he could never get in. They would have known him. And Jesus speaks the word, get up, get up, take up your mat and walk. And they don't even acknowledge the power, the healings of Jesus Christ. What they get bogged down is, is he's not doing it our way. He broke one of our, our rules. And how many of us today, we're so bogged down that God isn't doing things the way that we would do things. We get so bogged down that Jesus isn't doing the miracles that we want him to do in the way that we want him to do them, that we don't even see the power of God at work around us because we've confined, we live by such, in such a small box, and yet our God is so large. It, it, it's bewildering to me that they don't even acknowledge the power, the, the miracle that Jesus had just done. But then he just calls them out. Verse 17, I told you he was. He's like, listen, my father's working until now I am too. Not much he can do about it. And it's what we find here. One of the things we find is with Jesus, compassion always takes precedence over ceremony. 
They were too concerned with the ceremony. Well, this is how we have to do things, right? It's like somebody saying, is it okay that I go to worship at, at 8 o'clock in the morning instead of 8.30? But Jesus is always going to be about compassion. He's always going to take precedence over compassion rather than ceremony. But then what he does is he just, he just proves himself. You can say he defends himself, but really he just proves himself. So in John chapter 5, 18 and following, really I would say 19, all the way down to 29, he just proves himself. What he says is, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only sees what his Father is doing. For whatever the Father does, that, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show them, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Let me tell you what this is saying, because I know we don't have a lot of time. But 19 through 29 is all about Jesus' relationship with God, especially 19 through 23, but I would say 19 through 29. He's about to say, listen, you guys, I healed this guy. You're not even giving attention to the power of God. And now you're like, oh, blasphemy. Only the Father can do these things. You're saying that you are God. So he's just going to tell them, I am God. What the Father does and what I do is all one. That's why I am the Word. I am the flesh. I've been since the very beginning. John chapter 1, he says, I am the Word of life, and, the, and, and I am the flesh. The flesh, flesh dwelt among you. I am God dwelling among you. That's the power of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what he's communicating to them. And he's going to let them know very simply, listen, John 19 and 20, just those verses, Jesus explains that his work was a perfect reflection of the work and the will of God. This is what God, the Father's working, I'm working. This is what he did. This is what I do. And he just jumps to the point. He goes, I'll prove it to you. And in 21 and following, he goes to the power of resurrection. You can't get a greater power, a greater power significance than being raised from dead to life. So what he does is he just says, listen, Jesus used the work of resurrection to show that he was sharing in the work of the Father and of the Son. 21 through 24. Here the Son has the authority to raise the dead, to give life just as the Father did. But the religious leaders, man, they were focused on the wrong thing. They didn't focus on Jesus' power and authority, but rather on Jesus breaking one of their own laws. They were missing the point. They were missing the point. Well, here are our rules, and this is how I want to live life. And as long as God is doing those things, I'm good with God. But if God doesn't want to do those things, well, I've already predetermined are my preferences, then I have a problem with God. That's what was taking place. It's no different than today. They were focusing on the wrong thing. And so Jesus calls out, listen, here's your issue. You don't think that I and the Father are one. We are. The Father and I are one. And then he knew that they would want testimony. And so what he does in 30 through 36, 37, he gives witnesses to say, here's my testimony. Everybody say testify. That's what he did in John chapter 4. Remember the Samaritan woman who had been healed? Or not healed, I'm sorry, who had came to the well. Uh, Jesus was there. She goes away and begins to testify, it says, about all that she had heard about Jesus being Messiah. And as a result, just by hearing that testimony, they believed. You all remember this, right, from a week ago. All right. So in John chapter 5, he's going to give these religious leaders a testimony. That's what he does. He's going to make sure that they understand. There's a testimony of another in 31 and 32 that we find here. 
It says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's that testimony. But so others are going to give testimony. That was important for the Jewish people. So he's saying, here's testimony for you. And he's going to let them see it. He, in verse 33 through 35, he allows John the Baptist to give testimony. They were very familiar with him. They knew all about him. And so now he's on. John the Baptist already bear, bear, uh, bore witness about this. And so now he says in chapter 5, verse 36, he speaks about his own works, bearing witness to what he is and who he is. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me. But yet they couldn't even see the power of his works. All they could see is that he wasn't doing things their way. Remember, they just, they just completely ignored that he raised an invalid from how long? Like they didn't even get it. They were blind. The fact of the matter is some people have already predetermined what they believe about God, how high they think of themselves, and they simply will not believe. Some of you may not really believe. There's a difference in being taken to church and then choosing to go to church to worship the Creator. There's a difference. And some of you have been taken to church your whole life, but never have you woken up on a Sunday morning and go, wait, I get together with brothers and sisters in Christ with thousands of people and declare the one true God is King and Lord, that no matter how much this world collapses, that he will raise everything to new life, that every knee and every tongue will confess one day that he is Lord. Let's go. But you've never done it. You've been taken to church, but you haven't chosen to go to church because you haven't truly believed. You haven't, you haven't picked up your mat. You haven't gotten up. So he's saying, here's, here's my testimony. And then he steps in not only to the witnesses. So he just says, this is who I'm going to show you. This is who I am with the Father. Here are all these testimonies. And then what he does in, in chapter 5, verse 40 through 44, he, he just says, here's the real problem. Here's the real problem. You don't have his word abiding in you. Verse 38, that's where he begins. You don't believe the one who sent you. You search the scriptures. He's talking to the educated. He's like, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he steps in here, 38 and following, I said 40, but you really you can look at 38 through 44 even. And he says, here's the real problem. You're spiritually deaf. It's one of the things that he calls out here. You're spiritually blind. This is what he says, verse 37. The father who sent me has himself borne born witness about me. His voice you have never heard. You're spiritually deaf. His form you have never seen. You're spiritually blind. Verse 38, you're spiritually broke. You don't have the word in you. Your heart's calloused. And so as a result, you're spiritually dead. You won't even see the power that I have at my disposal to raise the dead to life. You couldn't even see the invalid walk. If you can't notice and see the invalid get up and walk, how are you going to notice what I can do in the conquering over death? You haven't even seen these things. 
Because you're spiritually deaf, you're spiritually blind, you're spiritually broke, you're spiritually dead. You don't process the fact that you don't even see the power of Jesus Christ. That you're the one who needs to get up. To pick up your mat, to recognize that God doesn't have to do things your way. You're committed to do things his way. I think that's where I would ask you. Do you even recognize that there's probably something in your, in your life that you need to get up from? Some type of addiction? Some type of reliance that's, that's keeping you from seeing the power of God? You've so predetermined the way you think things should be that you're blind to seeing what God could do. Like you're in a marriage, you're like, you've already given up. Do not give up. Do not give up. If you're in a marriage that is broken, that is hurting, do not give up. Maybe you've been a horrible parent and you know it, but you're going to go to your kids, whether you're the father or the mother, and you're going to look at them and say, you know what, I haven't always done this the very best way, but I'm going to change today. Does it, mean, can I, does it mean that I can make up for what I've done poorly in the past? No, but God can redeem and God can restore. And I'm going I'm to fight like anything I've ever had before to raise you as a child that loves the one true king. Fight, get up. Some of you have an addiction and you know you have an addiction, but your embarrassment outweighs your desire to be made well. Get up. Some of you have a vice in your life and you know you have a vice in your life, but that's more important to you because you'd rather hold up your head and act like everything is okay rather than come before the throne of God and go, you're in control, I'm all in. Get up. The religious leaders didn't even acknowledge the power of God. They were blind to it. Friends, I know that there's a, listen, I have a lot of education too, right? And man, I just like, people go to school. I did undergrad and postgrad and all these different things. And I, it's, I mean, it's just all kinds of nutty schooling. I can't imagine the money I spent on it. Um, and it's a good thing. But here are the people right here who are the most educated. And he's like, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to have eternal life. Don't you know that it's the scriptures that point to me? Friends, the only, the primary point in reading and learning the word of God is one thing. One thing only is that they teach us about who Jesus is. You know, when I jump into scripture, I see a greater portrait, the greater character of Christ. I get to see his miracles and I get to see what he's done and what he promises he will still do. And I rejoice in that. And I get to live in that. But some of us simply need to get up. We need to get up and step away from the life that we've been choosing to live in, knowing that it's less than the life that God has designed. We need to get up.
Will you get up? Is it time for you to get up and to walk in the power of Jesus? God, I come before you and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your power. God, there's so much happening in our world and there's so much brokenness and confusion. I thank you, God, that we have friends who are standing for you. God, right now I'm praying for Governor Whitmer that she would come to know Jesus. I'm praying for our president. I'm praying for all of our officials. I know we have some here in the church who are fighting to stand on your behalf. God, um, I'm praying that you will inundate our schools, our businesses, our bowling alleys, our golf courses, our sports complexes, our our music halls. I pray that you will inundate the hearts, ravage the hearts of every single person that is receptive to your truth so that we will see that you are capable of allowing us to get up from the bitterness and the hostility and the anger that we have had in life and to walk toward the true faith that leads to redemption. May we get up and step into the life that you intend. A life reflecting the glory of our Father. A life reflecting and honoring the glory of our Heavenly Father to do your will, God, not our own. 